You may be seated. So our message today is about the miracles that Jesus did in our gospel. And in both cases, it was because friends invited them to see Jesus. Well, we're welcoming new members here today to Manual. Almost always, people join a church, certainly here, because of their friends, because you invited them to come and see Jesus, which is what we do here at church. So if I call your name, come on up. Aaron and Kim, Connor and Sydney White, just come on up. Denise Shakatano and Gavin, Nikki Artman, Anna and Bryce, Ellen and Rick Helm, Eric, Caitlin, and Michael. Notes, you can follow along as we go. We heard this wonderful story today. Wouldn't it be great to have friends like the man who was paralyzed? Friends who had so much trust and faith in God that they would cut through someone's roof. And I don't know who the owner was. That probably they had a little explaining to do later on. And why they're cutting through a hole in the roof. But friends who have such faith that they know that if they can just get this man to Jesus, he will heal them. But we also have Levi, Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples in our second story, who after Jesus calls him to be one of his disciples, immediately he throws a huge party, it's a banquet, in Jesus' honor. And he invites all of his friends who don't yet know Jesus for the sole reason so they can meet him. Those are the kinds of friends that we wish we would have and the kind of friend that we need to be. So real quickly, we're going to go through the story and point out a couple of things. And then really what I want to do today is point out three life lessons from these stories. So we've heard the gospel reading. These men cut through the roof. They lower the paralyzed man, probably down with rope. They're just in front of Jesus because there are so many people in the house, kind of like in worship today. No one else can get in. They can't get him in through the front door, so they go through the roof. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees are there, and they are enemies of Jesus, and they are watching Jesus, kind of like the Republicans do the Democrats and vice versa just looking for somebody to mess up so they can pounce on it. And immediately that's what they do. Jesus says, because of your great faith, I am so impressed that I am going to forgive the sins of the paralyzed man. And all they can think about is, he's blaspheming. That's against the law. Who does he think he is? God or somebody like that? No one can forgive sins except God the Father. Now, Jesus wants to do an object lesson, kind of like Mr. Muhlendike did with his hammer and and with his tools to make a greater point. So he asks the question, which is harder, to forgive sins or to heal a man? So let me ask you, which is harder? Any ideas? Forgive sins is harder than to heal a man. Jesus, he heals people all the time. He can do it without even breaking a sweat. But to forgive sin, he will have to endure the agony of the cross. And yet he wants to point out to these people, they are all concerned that he is forgiving sin. He says, I'll do the easier thing right in front of your eyes. 
and I will heal this man, which you can see, so that you might believe in what is even more important, the greater miracle of forgiving sins, which we don't always see. At the conclusion of the first miracle, immediately Jesus goes out, and he goes by the tax collector's booth. Now, he's called Levi in the story, but we know him as whom? Matthew. He is the richest of all the disciples. We know that because he's a tax collector. It was a very lucrative profession. He has a toll booth set up. It's kind of like if you go on I-90 and all the tolls that of all the cars that go by there would be given to him. So I've had this idea, I'm going to pitch this to the Board of Governance pretty soon, that we should have toll booths set up on Main Street and Route 14. And all of the revenue goes to Emmanuel. What do you think? You think that'll fly? We could, we could build a new sanctuary, right? Yeah, we could have free tuition for everyone in the school. What a great idea. Well, Levi was making a killing. He was making all this money, and yet he was absolutely miserable. He had no friends, except people like him. He was called a crook and a traitor by just about everyone that he knew. Even his own kids were wondering what he did for a living. And so he throws this party after Jesus has compassion on him, forgives him, and asks him to follow him. And the very first thing he does is throw a huge banquet this party for all of his friends to honor Jesus. So I can just imagine how it goes. Everyone is gathered together. They're in his house. And they're having this great meal. And people are asking him, Levi, did you really quit your job? I mean, you were making a ton of money, man. You really quit? He says, yeah. I was so miserable. Every day I would look in the mirror and all I would see was a thief. I was so tired of, of people swearing at me of having to cross the street to the other side so I wouldn't have conflict with people. This was the first religious person, this Jesus, this rabbi, the first one who ever had a kind word at all to say to me. He says that my life has been changed forever. With Jesus, I'm a brand new person. And here's the punchline. And he tells all of his friends who came to his house for dinner, I'm a brand new person and you can be too. What a great thing that would be. So we have two stories of physical healing and forgiveness and a calling and an opportunity to invite others. So I think there are at least three lessons we can learn from this little story. First of all, God wants you to experience miracles. Raise your hand if you would like to see a miracle. Anybody? And, and we can, all of us, should see miracles. Now, this is my definition of a miracle. It is the intersection of your faith and God's miraculous power. His supernatural power connected to your faith. So what's the first requisite? Faith on your Part. Now, I would suggest that you should always ask for at least two miracles in every situation. One is a miracle over the minor problem, and one is a miracle which solves an even greater 
problem. So raise your hand if you have problems. Anybody? Okay, there are two things necessary for a miracle. You, you need a problem, which you've got, and you need the power of God, which is available. So you're all candidates for miracles. Now, usually when we think of problems, what do we think of? Physical things. We think of financial problems. Now, you don't have to raise your hand for this one, but at one point or another, most of us have financial, financial difficulties. We have a problem. We, are, we have too much debt, or there's something that we cannot pay, or there's not enough money. And so we have a minor problem. Or maybe it's a relational problem. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's with a coworker or a friend or a neighbor. And you have this conflict, and so you have a problem. Or maybe it's physical. Later on in our prayers, the majority of all our prayers will be about physical healing. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's a heart issue. Maybe you have migraine headaches. And so you say, Pastor, these are not minor issues. These are huge problems. And they are. But we have an even greater problem. And that is our sin. Unless there is a miracle, unless God intervenes. What did we do at the very beginning when we confessed? We heard again that we deserve condemnation, even eternal punishment. And so we've got an even greater problem than something that's financial or physical or in some of our relationships. You see, we have been separated from God because of our sin. And we deserve nothing but death until God intervenes. So that's the first lesson, is that God wants you to experience miracles in your immediate problem, but even more so in your eternal problem. And the good news, of course, and the cross demonstrates this once again, that Jesus has already paid the price. He's already suffered for us. He's even died so that you and I could live forever with all of those problems solved in eternity, which is what we call heaven. So that's the first lesson. The second one is this. God cannot cure you unless you accept his diagnosis. He says in Luke 13, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now, of course, he's talking about the greater problem, your sin problem. Now, the devil's greatest trick is this. It's to blind people, especially followers of Jesus, to their sin. He gives us this blind spot. So often, what do you hear from people, even when someone does something bad, is people are basically what? Good. We hear that all the time. Well, people are basically good, even when they do bad things. Even when they commit horrific crimes, people are basically good. And what does Jesus say? No, they're not. They're not. We're basically bad. In fact, Romans says there is no one good. Not even one. If you want to have a little fun this morning, poke the person next to you and say, you're not good. (laughs) None of you are. Right? Now, this is what Jesus also says. 
the difference between people is not that some are good and some are bad because no one is basically good. The difference is those that recognize their badness and those that don't. It's why we confess repeatedly. It's why we come to worship and one of the first things we do is we admit we've sinned. We've failed. We've done bad things. We've had bad thoughts. We've said hurtful words. And unfortunately, we continue to do it, which is why we continue to confess. The greater miracle is that Jesus continues to forgive and he cleanses us. And so in our relationship, it is as if it had never happened our sin, our errors, and our failures. And so, the first life lesson again, God wants you to experience miracles. But first, we need to admit that we need help. And so often, when we confess where we have erred in the minor problems, and also admit the greater problem of sin, that the help comes from Jesus. So if you go to a doctor's office or a waiting room and you see all these people sitting in the chairs uh, and you ask the question, are any of you sick? What do you think they would say? At least a few, right? That's why you go to the doctor's office. Because you need help. It's not something you can cure on your own. You humbly admit I need a higher power. I need another authority. Someone who has more knowledge. Someone who has greater power than I do. And so we first admit as well that we are sinners. Even in our finances. To admit that we've made mistakes. We spent too much. We've saved too little. In our relationships, admit where we have erred, admit where we have been hurtful, and to ask for forgiveness. If I'm drinking too much, to ask the Lord to help. If I'm headed in the wrong direction, to ask him to turn me around, to go back toward what is good. And then finally, when we have received forgiveness, when we have been healed, when we have been saved, then Jesus wants us to invite our friends as well. That's what Levi did. Jesus said, come up, follow me. And he left his tax collector's booth. He left his lifestyle behind. And immediately he threw a party for Jesus. And don't forget that. He threw a party for Jesus. And then he invited all of his unchurched friends, tax collectors and sinners. Now let me show you how this works. In two weeks we have something here at Emmanuel called confirmation. Some of you are going to have your, your young adults. And they'll be up here and they are going to affirm their faith. They're going to make the same promises you made for them at the time of their baptism. Now afterward, what will a lot of families do, do you suppose? Have a party? 
Right, they're going to have a party. They may even have dinner. They may invite their family. They may invite their friends. Is every single person there going to be someone who is a believer in Jesus or a church person? Probably not. Now, you're all good Lutherans, so before you eat your meal, what are you going to do? You are going to say, grace. So this is how you can do that. You can say, friends and family, we're all here gathered together because we are going to celebrate the confirmation of said child. It is all by the grace of Jesus Christ because God has loved us so much. And so because we love him also, we are going to say a blessing over our food and over these people. And you will probably say it in whose name? Jesus' name. You've just made a witness. To all of those who, like Levi's friends, are not yet sure who this Jesus person is. Can you think of any other events where you might gather friends together, even some who are not members of a church, who don't have a relationship with Jesus, where you might say grace before dinner? How about a birthday party? Could you do that? I bet you could. How about to celebrate an anniversary? I bet you could. How about just because you like your friends and you want them over every now and then? I bet you could do that and you could say a prayer. It's not that hard. Now, you know what happens to a lot of people when they first become a member of a church or when they first become followers of Jesus? They have new friends. How many of you have friends here to me and you'll raise your hand? Good. I was uh, worried about that for a second. You have friends here, right? You hang out with them. You do stuff with them. You met them in worship. You met them in Bible study. You met them in Sunday school. You met them uh, through a school event. You met them through Upward. All kinds of things. And now you hang out together and that is great. And because you can only have so many friends, you probably pushed out some of your former friends who aren't members here or have a relationship with Jesus. And yet, we want to stay close with them, don't we? So, if my unchurched friend John, if I play golf with him on Monday nights, and when his car was in the shop, I let him borrow mine, because I'm a good Christian, and when he and his wife want to go out on a date night, I offered to keep their child. Actually, I offered my wife to keep their child. So if I've done all that, because I'm a good Christian person for my non-Christian friends, and yet I never tell them about Jesus, I have not fulfilled my mission, have I? At some point, when the opportunity arises, I'm going to tell him or her about my relationship with Jesus. And just like Levi did, the difference that he has made in my life. Because of Jesus, I have peace even when I'm sick. I can have courage even when life looks scary. I'm not concerned about the future because I know that God has my eternity. As people of God, great miracles can occur because of our faith in the lives of others. What an amazing thing that is. Now before we wrap up, I have one caveat for you, and I want 
to get this right. So take a look at your notes where it says one caveat. While it is true that we can influence non-Christians positively by reaching out to them and being good friends, it's also true that such friendships have the power to influence us as well. So just as we have the opportunity to influence others for the good, others can influence us for the bad. Having non-Christian friends is not a license to go out and sin, (laughs) to do things that we know that we shouldn't do. In fact, our best friends, the ones who encourage us in our walk with Jesus, are those who follow him as well. And of course, our best friend of all is Jesus himself. If indeed Jesus is our best friend, and we are encouraged by other followers of Jesus Christ, then we will have the opportunity to encourage others who have not yet followed Jesus. And through our faith, and through our example, great things can happen in their life as well. So, would you like to see miracles in your life? Raise your hand. Yes, we all would. And with Jesus being at the center of our life, we can also see miracles, true miracles, life-transforming miracles occur because of our faith in the lives of our friends. What a blessing that will be. Amen. Let's all rise now and make profession of our faith.